At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. A note on John's Gospel. The Gospel of John's stories about Jesus was probably put together at the time when the church and the synagogue split. This split left hard feelings on both sides. John's references to the Jews has to be seen in this light. This occurs when Jewish and Christian religions were both minority faiths under imperial Rome. John's references become weaponized after Christianity becomes a religion of the empire. Today in our post-Holocaust world, we must be careful not to use the term Jews as a negative in our study of scripture. After all, Jesus and the apostles were all Jews. Last week, we heard in the story of the woman at the well that Jesus says that salvation is from the Jews. Without them, we would have never had Jesus. Today's story in John is the story of the man born blind. Think of how difficult it must have been to be born blind at the time of Jesus. It's hard enough today, but then there was no help. Indeed, all the man can do is beg for money. Like Father Matt said last week about the Samaritan woman, Imagine how lonely and isolated the man must have been. And like the woman, we don't know his name. Jesus and the disciples come upon him, and the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was a common belief at the time that there was a direct causal relationship between sin and sickness. The parents might have sinned, or there was even a belief that somehow the baby in the womb sinned in case of someone born with some kind of illness or disability. Jesus corrects the disciples right away. Sin does not cause sickness. Rather, through the man, the glory of God will be revealed. 
Jesus makes an allusion to his death when he says that they must do the works of the day because night is coming when no one will work. Jesus is the light of the world. This harkens back to the prologue announcing who has come into being. In him was life, and that light was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus shows that he is the light in giving sight to the man born blind. Notice that unlike the healing of the blind Bartimaeus in Mark, who cries out to Jesus to heal him, Jesus just sees the man suffering and initiates the healing. Jesus uses spittle to make mud, wipes it on the man's eyes, and tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. John wants to remind us that Jesus is sent from God. The washing calls to mind the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 5, healing of Naaman. Naaman was told to wash in the Jordan, and he is healed of leprosy. The man born blind washes in Siloam, and he can see. For the early church, this was a baptismal image. It was found in the catacombs as paintings that referred to baptism. It also harkens back to the woman at the well. Jesus has the living water. Jesus, as the light of the world, gives sight to the man born blind. But then all sorts of confusion happens. People that see him healed don't believe that this is the same man. One person says it looks like him, but it's not the man who used to beg. He keeps telling them that he is a man, the man, but they don't believe him. Finally, they brought the man to the Pharisees. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. The man answers them, and the leaders say, Jesus is not from God because he does not observe the Sabbath. Making mud is considered work, so it is forbidden. Others say, well, how could a sinner perform such a work? They ask the man what he thinks, and he says Jesus is a prophet. So they still don't believe the man was actually born blind, so they drag his parents into it. Since the Pharisees were throwing Jesus' followers out of the synagogue, the man's parents were afraid. They say, yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But you'll have to ask him how he can see. So they go to the man again and say, tell the truth, we know Jesus is a sinner. The man says, I don't know about that, but I know I can see. 
the leaders and the man get into an argument about who is from Moses and who is from Jesus. The leaders say to the man, you were born entirely in sin. We're back to the very beginning. And you're going to teach us? And they drove him out. <clears throat> Jesus comes to the man and ask him if he believes in the Son of Man. The man wants to. Jesus revealed it is he and the man believes. The Pharisees are the blind ones, and their sin remains. The text wants to contrast light and darkness, seeing and blindness, faith over unbelief. The man born blind says, I believe, and not only has he been healed, but he comes to saving faith. What a difference. Although he's been cast out of the synagogue, he is no longer a complete social outcast. He worships Jesus and becomes one of his followers, although this is certainly out of the social mainstream. But he now as a place. This text also breaks the connection between sin and sickness. No person with an illness or disability should ever be burdened with the idea that something sinful they did caused their problems. Nor should they be seen as having a lack of faith. After all, the man is healed before he comes to full faith. Jesus desires all God's children to be well. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Where is the light now that Jesus is not in the world? Our text from Ephesians seem to suggest that light comes from the church. The writer to the Ephesians reminds us of the radical transformation we have undergone and the subsequent radical life that that transformation demands. The transformation happens now that we are in the Lord. Since Christ is the source of life, he is the one that shines up upon us in 514, and we are now in him. It follows that we can now be called children of light. This is closely related to an earlier statement in verse 1, that we should imitate God because we are in God's family. If we are in the Lord... We are children of God and children of light. Light is the very nature of our identity, and that should determine how we walk. In Greek, it's parapateo, one of my favorite verbs. In other words, how we live, what we think, feel, say, and do. Quite the challenge. The writer lists several aspects of this way of living 
and he describes them as the fruit of the light instead of the usual Pauline fruit of the Spirit. The reality of being light issues forth in the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. The writer recognizes the intangible quality of such virtues, for he follows this list with the idea that the person who is light will need to test out what is pleasing to the Lord. These are not simple questions. They must be discerned through what God has given us, the spirit, the scriptures, and each other in the church. Our Ephesian passage ends with a quote, perhaps from an early Christian hymn based on Isaiah 60, verse 1. Sleepers awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Christ will pierce even the darkness of death. Box Cantata 104 sets this to music, but don't listen to it till after Easter. It has the A word in it. <laughs> this is a great work of the church to follow the light of Christ and to be the light of the world. We are to avoid the works of darkness and secrecy. All we have to look at are the child abuse scandals of a few years ago and know that transparency is also a virtue, albeit a more modern one. Without that, people will fall away from Christ. To build up the church, we need to shine the light. Only then will we be able to fulfill our mission to all people. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.